Konnichiwa. It's Zach Lingley Chichi. I'm so popular. Last week we discussed Gwen Stefani and Anne Sexton through the feminine archetype, and today we are diving headfirst into war. I'm discussing Counterattack and other poems by Secret Sassoon and the Mobile Suit Gundam Universal Century timeline featuring Mobile Suit Gundam, Mobile Suit Gundam Zeta, Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zeta. Mobile Suit Gundam War in the Pocket and Mobile Suit Gundam Char's Counterattack. And I'm joined by two very special podcasting angels. Who are you? I'm Stacy from the Cuteness Unit. Hey. I'm Macy from the Cuteness Unit. <laughs> Welcome. What are you two doing? Uh, we're podcasting. We're <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> Love it. Um, we're and drinking. Why, and we're drinking. Yeah. yeah. Are you drinking too, Macy? Yeah, I have my little white claw here. Okay. Like, I've, I'm sick of these, but my stepdad always buys them, so they're always in the house, so uh-huh. I just steal them from him. Yeah, I, um, these, this is the beer that Misato drinks, Ebisu, so I, it's the most expensive one in the convenience store, but I have, like, a taste for it now, so I can't get, I can't stop. Kanpai! Mm. Kanpai. Yeah, kanpai. <laughs> and so why do you two follow me? Um, you... Are so funny, and I think you have the best take on Mishima of like anyone on Twitter. Anyone. You get Mishima. You get Mishima. <laughs> That's why I love your podcast. People, and <laughs> yeah. All these fake Mishima heads, and then you just have excellent taste in like aesthetics and beauty, and you understand mm-hmm. um, the contrast between like highbrow, lowbrow culture, as well as excellent taste in anime. <sighs> Thank yeah. you. Oh my god. Um, I first was introduced to you when you both asked me to come onto your show uh, last year, I think for your season one finale. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I was the first guest on the show, right? Yeah, you're our oh. first yeah. guest. <laughs> Very flattering. Yeah, you you uh, postulated it to me as I was the final boss of uh, Cuneus Unit season one. And I really respect your narrative drive. Um, the show is incredible i'm obsessed you two are so your, your chemistry makes for such a natural like narrative unfolding over time um the art you discuss is always fascinating um and you always have a way of talking about it that is just so refreshing a lot of like you know young 20 something girl podcasters i just can't swallow anything but you two are like so real and i love your unfolding drama and i'm, I'm very privileged to have taken part in it Thank you. <laughs> this is gonna make me yeah. emotional before I even talk about Shar. <laughs> no, like I really seriously am, am very uh, impressed with your efforts. I'd love to see the the show growing. Um, and then also, Stacy, your cuteness unit appearance on Car Crash was really funny as well. <laughs> Really? Because I, I feel like I was just like, I got stupidly high. Uh-huh. And I felt really <laughs> retarded <laughs> that episode. Well, that's the, like I'll... the kind of episode I like on Car Crash when it's like somebody who's just is, is like they're just like bulldozing through a conversation and paying no attention to the other people in the room. It's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I swore I'm never gonna smoke weed again. <laughs> Have you since then? It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really feel like a connection with both of you because um, on my episode of your show, we went into like the most, um, like, demented full detail about um, Evangelion. Our passions, like, really, like, click in the same way. 
uh, you two, mm. like, bonding over, like, idols and 4chan, and uh, you both have, like, a, like, taste in Japanese media that's uh, not ironic, but really fully swallows, like, all of the gnarly, yucky edges of, like, stuff like idols and elf and lead, and no one does it quite like you two. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so it was very essential to get you two on to talk about. This is honestly um, the most time I have ever spent on preparing for an episode. We talk, we're talking about like three full seasons of anime and an original like video animation and a movie. And uh, Gundam is like one of the most like demented and absurdist pieces of like my pop culture experience. So I'm really glad both of you are here to go with me through this i've been wanting to do it for years yeah it's crazy that like some something like as seminal to anime like gundam is just as absurd as it is and Mm -hmm. such like a high art piece when you evaluate it in the way that's similar to evangelion absolutely like there's so much like a working absurdity and like camp and these awkward um like broken pieces to it that like define the whole show it's like it's very difficult to talk about if you, like, aren't, like, really autistic about anime. And, like, once you are, once you, like, cross that border, you're, like, never normal again. So you two being, like, normal, cool girls, like, makes it so that we can actually get through this together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but before we get all the way into Gundam, uh, last week we, we paired some poetry with the topic, and I wanted to do it again. And, uh... We're discussing kind of war generally. These are two uh, media pieces that are devoted to uh, discussing the the terror, horror, and ecstasy of of combat in the human life. And um, I was thinking a lot about war recently, not because of the Ukraine crisis or anything, which I don't know anything about, don't understand. It doesn't really seem quite real to me, but... um, the way that like war for our generation has kind of um sat in the you know digital background as like we've had a you know conflict and conflict in Iraq and like uh World War like two fallout is like so old like we have like these like fake wars happening all the time so I've like never really felt attached to it if that makes any sense. Oh, that totally makes sense. I'm like completely detached from like. All this like Ukraine stuff, as you mentioned, growing up, like the Iraq stuff was always in the background mm-hmm. and I didn't care for it. And then there's always just like what people refer to as this like culture war, which I mm. feel like is completely like bullshit and fake. I don't know. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I but feel it's, the it's, same it's, way. It's like a genre, drama. It's like tea. Yeah, it is like tea. <laughs> it is like cunty tea. Like I've yeah. always like liked the um like aesthetics of wartime and like this I mean, it seems so removed. Like do you even feel like war is something that could tangibly like happen to us cuz I don't feel it at all. Yes, and to bring up Mishima again, this is what he talks about in the Golden Temple is like war is just so detached from reality and that it serves as a removal from like that experience of like being human Mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally like my kind of experience with war except from like hearing it and like the distant fallout from like my grandfather who was uh you know served in world war ii it's like um the only thing i really know is like the iraq conflict when i was growing up and like 
the only way that like physically manifested in my life was through these paper signs that people would post around grocery stores to support our troops and then fuzzy TV conferences about it by George Bush and I have no other physical lived in sense about it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I was really young when all that was happening too. So like I just like okay, it's just something I saw on the TV. So it's hard to really like relate to it and I, like I didn't have anyone in my direct family that like served or anything. Yeah, like I don't have any connections to it. And so then when we have like what I guess is the most like pressing like war conflict of the 21st century with the conflict in Ukraine, it feels even more disembodied and digital and kind of un anti-real. So seeing like I was like looking through the New York Times and like looking at like these images of like Ukrainian women like standing in like the um shrapnel and like ruins of their homes and like something really disturbing happened, which is that I laughed. <laughs> I laughed because I thought it was really camp. Like, <laughs> it's like the it's drama. It's hard not to, yeah. No, it was like fierce boots. Like, it was like, yeah. she was turning yeah, a fear- narrative. Wartime fashion is like some of the hottest things. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> need to break it to you. Combat boots and a button-up. Serve. Yeah. For real. <laughs> I feel like too just like the American like imperial machine is so much like art culture and there's so many movies about war like that like you just think of like a film or a movie like if you haven't actually experienced it it's like incomprehensible and you can't actually it's hard to feel it as something real like unless you're literally getting bombed right no I think that's so true and even though I recognize like this kind of a detestable like zoomer mentality in me about like looking at war and kind of like laughing I do have an urge to take it like seriously and like feel moved by it because when you imagine the actual like conflict that's happened in the past and the sheer mass of life and the upheaval of civilization I just feel like that's something I want to be able to grasp and uh internalize somehow yeah I mean, it's hard, like, to actually do that, especially in, like, the digital age and when everything mm-hmm. is, like, specifically marketed to, like, milk all pathos from you yeah. in a way. And so it's, like, if you're aware that, like, everything is supposed to, like, pull some sort of emotion or make you align with something, then it feels, like, less human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, when I was reading the poems, I was like, wow, war is actually bad. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, like, actually, that's exactly what happened with me as well, because um, I read, so we're talking about Siegfried Sassoon, who was a English poet in the 20th century, um, who served in uh, the 20th and 21st, sorry, yeah, the 20th and 19th century, who served in World War One, um, and he was among a, a large legion of English poets who had been well-to-do Oxford scholars who uh, were, you know, subscripted to the war and then spent their service writing um, atrocious, horrifying poems about what they witnessed in the trenches of France during World War One. And um, I was, like, first introduced to, to Sassoon in a poetry of the first world war class in college by this really wonderful like moribund teacher I had it was like very like cold and uh uh I he made us uh, do like 
poetry readings like we had to like memorize stanzas and like read them in class like every week and uh he was very like serious about the the english major so i really loved him and i loved this class and i loved secret sassoon who is um, not only extraordinarily violent really disgusting and has this huge eye for just visceral imagery but he's also a faggot <laughs> like he also is a big gay and he like uh sows all of this uh blood death with um male bodies and i just love this whole universe and it, it's it's lent me a lot of feeling what did you two think about these i just uh, i did feel like it was a perfect pick for gundam because there's so much of like them being like you don't actually understand like this isn't a game like this is what war is like and like this hatred for like the elderly and <laughs> i feel like that's in these poems like so much too it's like the, the actual idea of glory just like goes out the window when you're in the trenches yeah that's right he has all of these poems in um this volume it's called counterattack and other poems and all of it is about kind of a uh, the fleeting ghost of glory that men are uh, chasing after just to drown in mud. Uh, the, the whole poems are, like, soaked in this imagery of, like, gloom. It's, like, always, like, shapeless gloom and, like, a colorful, like, smoke and then um, endless rain and mud. And it is just such an unpleasant universe to read through. I, um... I could not stop, like, writing down quotes of uh, the way he was describing things. He wrote, <clears throat> The rosy gleam of battle overhead, dim gradual thinning of the shapeless gloom, storms of death, the flapping veils of smothering gloom. <laughs> so good. Yeah, like, every poem, it just feels so dark and dirty. Like, you feel like you have mud on you, like, reading yeah. And there's this interesting contrast between that, like the dirty, like grimy, gloomy imagery, and then like aspects of like uh, when he's describing things as dazzling and blazing. And I think you really get that as well in, in Gundam is like certain uh, like um, effects of like the, the dazzling sort of explosions and whatnot. And so there's this interesting contrast between like things that are like beautiful, and shiny and then like things that are like dirty and filthy yeah because like like the gundams are like very aesthetically appealing like creations like they're they're menacing from time to time but they're mostly like glittering white red and blue and like pink uh robots that are like kind of cute in, in a way like they're both like frightening but they're also like cute and like appealing to look at and i definitely feel like um sassoon like looks at like the bodies of men around him and uh you know he feels like a, a deep woe for seeing their glittering shapes like reduced to like mud death uh he wrote mm -hmm. he, he wrote a naked sodden buttocks mats of hair bulged clotted heads slept in the plastering slime mm -hmm. oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I love it. i'm obsessed with it too it's like all of these tragic like male figures just like super like wet and like sticky and like I guess like the, I, I learned like I thought a lot about what it would actually be like to be like trapped in those trenches and like men like really were just like straight up like drowning in mud and like uh like getting like caked to death by like their little forts and like having their trenches collapse on them and to be like an aesthetic little faggot watching that happen, I can only imagine was one of the most uh, heart-wrenching experiences in the world. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so I guess a question I'd pose is like, Sassoon, uh, obviously has kind of a, a really ham-fisted, like, anti-war kind of, um, like, narrative going through all of this, but what do you think, like, his kind of, like, final idea is? Like, what is he gesturing forward in, uh, from this writing? What, what do you think he wants I feel like it's kind of like what we were just discussing and what I get from a lot of the poems is just like the contrast with like the reality of it like actually being in that situation and how like the media or like the people that didn't have to go fight like how they talk about it like that big dissonance yeah and yeah and then like (laughs) (laughs) sorry um and like it gets to it's not necessarily a nihilistic like message but it's just the idea that like perhaps dying for glory isn't as glamorous as it may seem to be and it's Mm -hmm. like again that like bringing that into reality and the we often fall into illusion that like glory ends up being better than like uh, we glamorize it but it just is like just void and tragedy and suffering um which is not really a bad thing but it like brings us into an awareness of uh our materiality and yeah fine that like awareness and sensuality is like definitely really clear and he hates journalists like in this like book yeah. he really fucking hates journalists he like, has like three different poems like satirizing them and i feel like it's because I, I have, like, a, a common ground with his mission, even though, like, we're talking about very different things and I'm not drowning in mud quite yet. Like, he definitely wants to forge his reality in a way that people can enter it and feel, like, moved by it and, uh, you know, persuaded and, and forced to see the universe as he sees it as well. So he hates journalists for trying to create, like, that mirage and he hates, like, the... um commanding soldiers in his battalion for that like same reason and i just love that his means of uh creating the reality of war outside of uh his experience was through these really dramatic emotional poems yeah and to get back to why when we were talking about like why we feel like in our so detached from like the war happening around us in the ukraine situation is precisely like the idea that like journalists specifically have a narrative and end up reducing like the tragedy of war into like numbers and just like publicity and like ability to garner like clicks to their mm-hmm. New York Times articles or whatever. And then it doesn't really like reflect uh, the human life sort of being exploited in these situations. Mm-hmm. Like they're specifically they exploiting to- the lives of soldiers. They try to turn it into like this Marvel movie narrative with like heroes, <laughs> like that too. That idea that there's like one like good guy and bad guy, when it's just like a bunch of people dying from yeah. all different sides. Yeah, no, it totally is the like Marvelification of like the New York Times. Like every single thing I've, maybe the reason I just like don't feel like moved or like encouraged or like impassioned by like what's going on there is just because like living in the internet maze of like mirrors and glass it just like nothing comes across as like actual reality and it all comes across as like 
evil like persuasion and like the formations of these horrifying like fake digital narratives if, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense totally yeah. makes sense and like these are like also propaganda in a way it's like propaganda mm-hmm. against war like these poems but it's like because mm-hmm. like he registers it with so much like fleshy like corporeal images like it feels like something you could like grasp onto mm-hmm. you can't grasp onto anything happening in, in the contemporary war digital nightmare scape mm-hmm. <laughs> and even this it's like he has that taste for the object so he, it draws you in you mm-hmm. like want to read about these repulsive situations in a way yeah, you you do. I felt that like every like kind of shocking grisly detail like just like latched me in so much more. Like there is like a perverse like relationship with the object and uh like in Powers of Horror by Julia Christopher, she's always talking about like shitting and vomiting and like diarrhea and like mud and like crap and dirt. And that all like just like literally oozes out of these. They feel almost like vulgar for something to be like published in like the early 20th century. Mhm. Oh, so good. I was naked and bound, was stricken, and beauty returned through the shambles of night. In the faces of me, she returned, and triumph I found. And that's what he wrote um, only, like, after being liberated from war. Because he had, like, a terrible, um, like, injury at one point. He was a very brazen soldier. He, like, led, he, like, chaotically led uh, his group and uh, was constantly getting into skirmishes and uh, was kind of like a a nightmare on the battlefield, but all this time he had this longing and only found triumph in getting, like, kicked out, basically. So good. (laughs) Did you have any, like, final thoughts about Sassoon? I'm, like, revisiting the poems right now because I read them so long ago. I, I feel like I wish like, I would have won. I reread them oh. this week. Um, <laughs> so, like, lucky me. But <laughs> oh, I forgot. He also wrote these three um, really boring memoirs. Uh, and they're, like, <laughs> technically fiction. Um, but they're, like, really, really slow-paced and boring. And they're about, like, him uh, fox hunting and, like, playing, like, cricket and stuff. But I, like, have, like, a really <laughs> romantic attachment to them. Because, like, kind of like uh, the Gundam franchise it like begins with this pastoral innocence and then like quickly rapidly Mm -hmm. decays into like gay sex mud hell of world war (laughs) one and i feel like that captures like the the actual war experience as well as like you know you have these like highs of like just tragedy death and violence and then you have like lows of like just doing things like eating beans out of a can or something and I think that's also reflected in Gundam as well because it's like Mm -hmm. you get these like highs of like you know people just dying and suffering and characters crying and then you get like fan service episodes yeah the salt episode Salt episode yeah I was literally just thinking about that like they really go into like the painstaking details of like the monotony (laughs) of it all and um I I'm obsessed honestly it's like torturous to get through (laughs) but there is like really something like special about um you know, reading poems that were published, like, a hundred years ago, and them being able to, like, speak, like, more viscerally to um, illustrating the war experience. And I talked about, like, the Futurist Manifesto a few weeks ago, and uh, the Futurist Manifesto encourages, like, more war, like, you know, more war, like, faster. More violence. More violence. Like, let's let's get to the point. 
but like in this vision of war, nothing is being produced. Like war seems like kind of like decadent and like destructive. Yeah. yeah. It's like a decadent, like perverse act instead of like a barreling forward. And I wanted to know mm-hmm. if you two think, you know, we can revisit this later after Gundam, but do you think war is productive? Do you think it's something we need to embrace to better society? I think, because I've read the the Futurist Manifesto as well, and I, I, I'm just inclined to agree, like, with Sassoon's, like, thesis, that, like, it's just a destructive force, but I think, like, ultimately, like, that destructive force becomes a productive force, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like dialectics, to use a smart person word, I don't know, I don't know what that means, um, but, like, <laughs> That's you exactly know, you, need, <laughs> you just need to destroy something in order to recreate and rebuild, um, and so, yeah. Macy, what do you think? I think I'm, the, I'm always like the opposite of her. She's like the futurist, <laughs> I'm the Dadaist. Uh-huh. So I feel like it's like only worthwhile in that you're like reveling in this grand horror that is like the breakdown of all meaning. And maybe that you can construct something out of, but it's not the war itself that's like actually accomplishing anything. It's just like a waste of like resources. Yeah, I think that makes and sense. Lives. <laughs> and like Sassoon definitely seems to think it's like a, you know, a pageant almost. Like there's something like very theatrical and stagey about the way that he's doing like these uh, like theatrical murders in the darkness, you know. And I think, I, I'm not sold either way yet, but I feel like war is, you know, good for, you know, people having to face themselves and like face their reality and face the exterior situation and then surmount it in the name of some uh politic or philosophy and i think it's good for people to be um in a state of passion that forces them to drive the world forward but i think like physical violent war is probably not the way to do it and we need like more like war of like the erotic spirit with one another oh totally sounds good to me yeah i I can go sign that yeah i think like (laughs) passion shouldn't be like you shouldn't use your passion to create war and violence instead you use your passion to create beauty a beauty that like can be like violent i don't know revolutionary war (laughs) yeah revolutionary war i i think interpersonal violence is you know much more effective in the long scheme of things than like uh (laughs) like like war and like ukraine or whatever (laughs) drones yeah yeah Marvel hero Zelensky. <laughs> yeah, okay. I seriously can't stop thinking about that now. The way after you said it, it just makes so much sense. It's like literally yeah. like everyone is like Thor and like Captain Ukraine or whatever. Disgusting. And there's like the whole ghost of Kiev thing they made up. That was like a meme. And then the like Ukrainian intelligence service like embraced the meme to like give people morale. It's just like such a mess. I don't. I do not know what's happening. I don't think it's possible for anyone to know what's happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, like, at least, like, you know, I imagine, like, an actual conflict, which, you know, n- our generation has not lived through at all as Americans. Like, people used to write, like, letters and, like, emote about it. Like, there was definitely, like, an emotional reality there. But, like, have you heard, like, the testimony of, like, a Ukrainian, like, soldier or, like, anything? And I, even if I did come across one, it would just seem, like, fake. And, like, because it's yeah. published somewhere. Yeah, journalists, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no fucking journalists. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs>
So, um, in my journey to re-philosophize the world, we're looking back at the grand conflict of war, mud, death, terror, abjection, and I think it reaches a perfect point of synthesis in the Mobile Suit Gundam franchise, which was uh, created by Tomino Yoshiyuki for uh, Sunrise, um, which was eventually taken in by Bandai, which is a, a toy producer, basically, but... Um, Gundam is, is a cultural mainstay in Japan, and it is the inventor of the, quote, real robot, unquote, genre. So it's kind of the grandfather of all mecha anime, and every single piece of mecha art ever created um, owes a lot of its aesthetic qualities as well as its, like, thematic work and sense of the political it all comes back to Gundam you can trace it to Ava very easily Xenogears was um directly a love letter to Gundam and um the series is a massive soap opera with multiple different franchises set in different realities um all kind of riffing on the same ideas and today we're talking about the original core run of the uh, universal century timeline um, and first, we're going to talk about Mobile Suit Gundam, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, and Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zeta. So I'm curious what both of your relationships with Gundam was like before we got up to uh, this point. Well, I just always have watched tons of anime. That is like a longer story. But I remember when I started college, I was just like, I'm gonna get into mecha anime because that's I feel like a lot of anime watchers will be like oh I just don't like mecha though and they'll kind of neglect like all of the genre because it does seem like kind of hard to get into because like the series are so long there's so many different ones it's like I don't want to watch robots fighting I don't know it seems like kind of boring but like the thing about Gundam that's so good is there's actually so much human drama but anyways I did start watching it in college and I just and my brother loved it too like so he kept telling me about it and like sending me memes and stuff. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna watch this one. And I just went through all of it. I really liked it. And I watched like Macross too and like some other shows like that. So I got really into it. Um, this was my first time actually watching Gundam, even though I've been like a weeaboo for like so long. I just thought like the Gundam series was like really not inaccessible but just like a realm that like I was always afraid to dive into because it was like you really have to invest a lot of time and energy yeah. into it clearly and so I just avoided it for so long but I would always watch like 
the kind of Evangelion um, and like some other like more like contemporary like uh, mecha animes like Alden Noah Zero. And it's interesting like watching those like more later mecha animes and seeing like the continuities between those uh, those, uh, mecha animes and then like the, you know, the seminal Gundam. Yeah, so, no, yeah. totally. I, I I also got into Gundam because I was working my way back from Ava, and um, I originally watched Ava, I think, in high school, and then when an, a friend revisited it with me, my friend Emily, in college, um, it, like, really reignited my spark for anime, and I really wanted to get, like, the whole, like, understanding of Ava, so I went back and, like, kind of went through all of its uh, precursors, and uh, I started Gundam with uh, the After Colony timeline, which is a Gundam Wing, which is probably the most well-known franchise in America because they showed it on Toonami, but when I finally got to the Universal Century where it all started, um, I was surprised to find that, like, yes, like, this is mostly, like, a show aimed at, like, teenage boys, but it's, like, more so a painstaking human drama in long-form narrative, um, punishingly boring at times um, so that it can be studded with moments of ecstasy, unlike anything else that requires, like, literally, like, months and months of investment just to get those few moments, but it feels so worthwhile. Um, Remember it too? I'd always have it on the background, like while I did homework. <laughs> that's how I did it too. I used to like yeah. do a bunch of Adderall when I was like writing my college thesis. <laughs> I would like rail a bunch of Adderall, and then I would like have like Gundam Wing on and my like other windows, <laughs> like doing my research for like whatever. Um, and like I feel like um, there is like the wall of autism that has to be pierced to like get into Gundam because it is so complicated. There's so much stuff going on. It's like pretty like imperceivable um but like once you kind of get over the wall it becomes something that you can like let happen in the background of your life Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then for me like almost that becomes like an appeal I'm like oh I want to be like that one freak that like knows like what order to watch this in all hundreds of series yeah no I totally get it like there's something so satisfying about being (laughs) able to like navigate Gundam on your own without having to like look at like guides or like ask people for opinions but to be the one giving the the take is a very satisfying scholarly experience can you even imagine people getting like into like the original series like right now like can you imagine like someone just like flicking it on on Netflix and watching all of it it's crazy yeah Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to describe, like, how insane it is, because, um, okay, the, the first series, Mobile Suit Gundam, which came out, I believe, in 1979, uh, is very, uh, it's one, of, it's an early anime, and Tomino was actually a animator for, like, some of the first anime ever made, like, Astro Boy, and so there is definitely, like, this, um, like, visual quality to it that is quite inaccessible it's like very rough um like chalky uh doesn't even like look like anime a lot of the time uh and it can be so like daunting that it's like what am i watching even like two episodes in Mm -hmm. yeah what did you like both think about um 
getting into this. I mean, this is your first time, Stacey. So what was your like experience like surmounting the visual autism layer? It, it, so I usually do the, as Macy calls it, the three uh, episode rule where like you, after you watch three episodes, that's how you determine like whether an anime is good or worthwhile watching. Uh-huh. And it took like a little bit more than three episodes to say, for me to really get into like the plot line and feel mm. invested into Gundam. But once I broke that, say autism barrier, as you mentioned, I just like went full into it and was so invested in like all these characters' lives and dramas. And like, yeah, after that, it just like flowed sort of naturally. Um, and I, I agree, I haven't, this is like the f- first time I've watched anime in maybe like three years. Yeah, I, I, just I haven't watch watched a, anything at all recently. And, this is yeah. my first time going back in a very long time. Yeah, and to watch an anime that's, like, really retro from, like, the 80s um, just feels like you're diving into, like, some sort of, like, antiquated, like, treasure. And it felt really beautiful to me in certain times. Like, the animation, although it's, like, you know, a bit dated, it felt uniquely beautiful in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah, the visual palette of this is so good. Um, in so good. Sh- to to summarize shortly about what's going on, uh, this takes place like in the year like twenty seventy something, and it's uh about a young boy, Amuro Ray, who becomes embroiled in a conflict with um. Th- there are two warring factions between the Earth Federation and a the Principality of Zeon, w- who are in conflict over controlling uh, the political landscape of the space colonies that are, like, floating around the Earth and in the solar system and the actual, you know, planet of Earth. And um, their conflict takes place over the One-Year War and... Um, my God. Yeah, it takes, like, when you're first watching this happen and kind of, like, seeing, like, the world get established, you have no idea, like, what's going on. And, like, most of the time, like, you still don't. But, like, there is something so enriching about being in this very idiosyncratic, like, anime landscape uh, that's, like, very European, that kind of German-inspired and uh, getting to know these these people and their great dramas as they <laughs> throttle through this incomprehensible conflict. Something like that. <laughs> I think it's so true. It's almost like you just feel like one of these random little war orphans. So you're just thrown into it. You don't know what's happening. Yeah. You just have to figure it out as you go. Yeah. Like, I, I think I've seen um, the original, like, twice now. And then I, I've seen the compilation movies that they did as well, which are actually, like, quite good on their own and have a, a wonderful soundtrack. But, like, um, I still could not, like, describe to you almost anything that's happening in the first scene in this series at all yeah I kept like looking at the wiki because I'm like oh my god I have to talk about like the actual plot on the podcast like I feel like I know what's happening but I could not describe it to you no I don't know how I honestly have no idea what's going on like the only thing that you can kind of pull apart out of this is the character's motivations and I think that is actually kind of like beautiful and true because like the um, convoluted space war that's going on uh, is, you know, trite to the mechanics of these young people's hearts as they're thrown into conflict with one another. Mm-hmm. But um, 
the visual style of it that that's where we'll go next like you know, I mentioned it's like kind of like German inspired and the anime is like really like clunky and uh, they reuse shots all the time. But like, I don't know. I just like love like sitting around in like the kind of like hand colored like universe here. It feels like kind of wholesome almost. It really is like it has like a distinct color palette. And I like that all of the characters, like, they have so much personality, like, they all have, like, different faces, like, not like anime or most anime where people have, like, it's, like, copy-paste drawing almost with, like, different colored eyes. They all look, like, very distinct. And, like, my boyfriend was joking because we were comparing, like, the three, like, Zeta and Double Zeta, the three of them, like, the art styles, and he's, like, oh, like, Double Zeta is really cheap. Like, why doesn't he have any, like, whites in his eyes? And I was like, no, Bright never has whites to his eyes. Like, he always has little dots. Yeah, there's, like, a, <laughs> like half of the cast, like, has, like, not anime eyes. Like, they have, like, just, like, these, like, little black slots on their face. Uh-huh. And I was, like, wondering, like, is this, like, trying to designate who's Japanese and, like, who exactly. isn't at first? <laughs> like, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I was talking to about this. And I was telling her about, like, Sharp. And how, like, Char basically did nothing wrong, in my opinion. And how I love... And how she... Like, I love Char. (laughs) Because I love, like, doughy-eyed Aryans. (laughs) 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 It's basically, like... Yeah, it's, like... I feel like they're drawn to their race. Like, drawn accordingly to, like, a race that they're supposed to signify. There's something really, like, globalist in an interesting way, because, like, you know, when you think about, like, global homo, like, spaghetti arm art people, you know, they're, like, all, like, (laughs) blended into, like, pink frappe crap, but, like, when you're looking at these people, they're all, like, very clearly, like, different races, and there's, like, a really entertaining element when they're, like, in, like, Arabia, like, in the in the first series, and, like, uh-huh. they're just all speaking Japanese, of course, and it's, like, these, like, really black people, like, comically black, like, we draw on people, that it's, like, and they're all just, like, speaking Japanese in this, like, globalist universe, and I really love that vision, actually. Yeah, there was, like, a, one specific episode, I think, where I, like, put on the dub so I could watch it while getting ready and listen, and, like, suddenly like one of the characters just spoke in a really deep like German accent on the dub the Canadian dub <laughs> and then I'm like is this supposed to designate that this character is German and it just felt so it just felt so funny to me I don't know oh because it's, um, it's especially like, extremely comical yeah it's impossible in the Japanese to understand like what culture they're trying to reference when you're listening <laughs> to the Japanese voice acting. But like, um, they all have like really ridiculous names, and it's like some of them are like kind of like clearly Japanese, and then there's like characters named Bright Noah, or like in Zeta, it's like uh, Quatre Bajina. Yeah. <laughs> the names is like a whole nother topic. And then, sorry, for when we got to, when I got to um, Zeta, when you're introduced to uh, Camille, 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 I kept thinking Kamala Biden. <laughs> like her name was Kamala Biden, and I couldn't like get it out of my head. No, I get it. It's like I, I think Tomino has like a really like special like very um decided worldview like in his kind of like future reality is like so fully fleshed in and like the colonies themselves like these like space tubes that like float around the earth. They're like these like big cylinders and they all have like these pastoral European towns. I am obsessed with the colonies. Mm-hmm. They look so good. 
Yeah. I want to live in one. Yeah. I want to live in the space pod. Like, they're, like all these like quaint like <laughs> like German towns basically. Um, <laughs> it's like a small world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It really does feel that way. Um, and then like the thrust of the original series is that they do like Gundam world tour because they all have to get in the white base ship and they like do like this uh, large mission across Earth. Um, and it shows them go through, like, all parts of, like, Europe, like, into Africa. I think they're in South America at one point, although I and might be mistaken. And then they get to Texas. Yeah, and then there's <laughs> Texas. <laughs> Which is representative of all the United States. Yeah. I just, yeah. like, love, like, the obliterating cultural eye for this, where it's, like, nothing is the, like, nothing is that different. It's just all the same in the year 2098. Yeah, Universal Century. Yeah, Universal Century. <laughs> um, there's a great, like, TPN episode where they talked a little bit about, like, uh, Star Trek and how it's, like, kind of impossible to imagine, like, everyone cooperating so well. But it, like, makes, like, so much sense in Gundam because they've all just been, like, reduced to, like, the, you know, black slot cartoon-eyed people and everyone on the face <laughs> of the Earth and in space <laughs> speaks Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to live in that world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is what we're going towards. Um, I think towards, like, the back uh, third of the original Gundam franchise, we're introduced to the concept of new types. And this is an, a very essential piece of the entire Gundam universe. Um, they are people from space who have evolved into such a state that they have higher perception um, and extreme psychedelic uh, experiences of empathy and um, commiseration with others so that like their minds can kind of transcend the physical reality to communicate with others um, and make them very perceptive and I was very interested about this new type sensation what what do you two think about this um do you want to go first I like it I like it too we love we love to joke about how we're like psychic and stuff. So I, it was, I was really vibing with it. I like that. Yeah, me too. I, also, my I like boyfriend kept making new half jokes. <gasps> oh, God. <laughs> I had to keep telling him to shut up. He kept saying that. Does your boyfriend speak Japanese? Um, No, not really. But He's enough to know new Japanese. hafu, I guess. Yeah, so. he knows that. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually what my Tinder profile that had my drag account on. Her name's Momo. And uh, I, I wrote, you have this in the comment. Because it's, it's such a convenient way to say crossdresser, drag queen, or trans without having to make the distinction. I feel like he's kind of like that. You can see his little socks. Very cute. He looks like he would be your boyfriend. <laughs> But no, I love yeah, I, the new types. Stacy, what did you what did you think about them? Um, so given that this is my first time watching like Gundam and having prior experience in like Mecha and more generally like Shonen, mm-hmm. um, it's like the idea that like these uh, now I want to say I was gonna say new half, but <laughs> these uh, new types or whatever um, are like specifically like almost chosen to like pilot uh, like. Um, Amuro, this like new half or n- not new half. Sorry, <laughs> let's refer to him type, as new half. Yeah. New type um, that he's a new type and he's specifically like designated to pilot this Gundam and he's really good at it. 
uh, adds to like the shonen quality that like you later see in like an anime like Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was like really unique. Um, and yeah, adds like a really interesting dynamic to uh, the show itself. Yeah, it totally does. Because the idea of the new type is that there are these people who are so evolved that they will eventually become a race without war. So the idea is that the entire like space-bound human population will eventually evolve into new types and um, be able to empathize with each other so clearly that they won't ever have a need for war. But because, you know, Amuro Ray, this protagonist, is still in the contemporary moment, he has a need for war that he can't escape, and it leads to this incredible psychedelic, like, psychic drama between him and uh, his antagonists. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, leading up to that, like, this, like, sort of love triangle between Amaro, Char, and Lala, and Lala becoming, like, this sort of, like, almost, like, higher deity, like, divine feminine character that, like, runs throughout all the course, is, like, a shadow um, throughout the rest of the Gundam series. Yes, I and am haunts, like so obsessed with this character of Lala. <laughs> Lala. Yeah. Lala. She is an Indian uh, new typu who is discovered first by the Principality of Zeon and begins to work with um, Shar. So when she becomes embroiled in conflict in Amuro, with Amuro and they have to like fight in the Gundam, it's like less like these like typical like robot fights that they have to do throughout the rest of the series. And it's like these... Uh, like, translucent sequences of them, like, in their Gundams, which become invisible, and their hearts are just warring with with, with each other as they try to understand one another. It's so beautiful. Yes, exactly. And to get back to what you were saying about, like, the animation itself, um, (gasps) in the episode where, spoiler alert, Lala, you know, dies, like, the animation is incredibly beautiful dazzling and beautiful yes and it's so psychedelic and reminiscent of something from like the 70s like belladonna of sadness and like these just like yeah it's it's so abstract and you know words cannot describe it except for beautiful Mm. what did you think about the lala uh, fight scenes where their hearts like uh become so consuming that they eat up the entire animation and it's just their outlines over the pink cosmos. It's just so beautiful. It was so it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it has like almost like a magical girl aspect to the anime. Yeah. Um, totally. So I feel like Gundam itself almost like transcends a bunch of genres because it's like mm-hmm. it has these mechas aspect, like shonen aspect. Uh, magical aspect and as a Fujoshi myself uh, (laughs) very um, cute moments between Shar and Amuro oh yeah Um, and so when like Amuro is like having to fight with like Lala and and she has the ugliest Gundam out of all of them by the way (laughs) it's just like a bunch of like circles and squares like stuck together (laughs) (laughs) and like their like hearts are like screaming out to one another and she like eventually like gets killed in the conflict and her her helmet shatters and she screams upward into space as all of the glass is flying upward. 
And my God, I mean, this is like kind of what Sassoon does for me as well. Like he creates like an image that's like so like gloomy and full of this like uh, haze and color um, that it kind of ends up through its dazzling, sparkling imagery, like convincing you so much more of the horrors of people who just can't ever learn to truly, you know, be one with one another. Yeah. So good. Um, she dies. It's really upsetting. Yes. I was quite upset <laughs> actually rewatching it this time. Mm-hmm. There's so many sad moments that it's just oh, like, God. this is horrible. Why is this happening? Yeah, um, especially in this first um, season, they just butcher characters that you... Yeah. Yeah, people just fucking die yeah. in like really visceral ways all the time. Yeah, yes. that's something I really respect this series for. Because then yes. it's jumping ahead a little, but I was like really bitching a lot about Double Zeta. And I was like, not enough of them died. Yeah. In this one. It's not as good. There's not enough tragedy and not enough slapping each other in the face either. Yeah, because, oh, that's a really important thing. Characters yeah. in this <laughs> franchise are always hitting each other, like really hard across the yeah. face. Um, some characters um, even like beat women and like gut punch them. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> several times in this series <laughs> it's like this like hyper cosmic stage of like people like just failing to you know be able to comprehend the other and then yeah. enacting it with violence warfare giant robots <laughs> and like the pink cosmos this like psychedelic 70s music plays behind you oh my god <laughs> so beautiful good universe. it is really beautiful um the end of the original series is is really amazing because it features, like you said, like the rotten girl Fujoshi like moments with um <laughs> with Shar and um and Amaral where they uh I can't remember the name of this thing that they're in. It's like the big final battle and it's yeah. like an asteroid or something. <laughs> it's like something or other. And it's this uh like five episode long fight, but yeah. the bulk of it is just following Amaro and Char flying around outside of just their beating each other. Just beating each <laughs> other up. And um they have this beautiful moment where they like embrace. Yeah. Their heads connect. Yes. Yeah, their heads touch. <laughs> Like they're kissing, <laughs> and they both yeah. injure each other. I think, um, yeah. I think Amuro gets like his his spacesuit slid open from the yeah, yeah, from the arm, and then Shark gets his helmet very like phallically penetrated with like a spear, mm-hmm. and then he's scarred for life. Yes, he's forever marked by their contact with one another. Yeah, what do you think about their relationship with each other? I will, I will say for the Fujoshi aspect, I think I like Shar and Garma better. I like the treachery between them. Uh-huh. But yeah, they're definitely like obsessed with each other. They're yeah. <laughs> um, and we talk about this a little bit in the pod, but it's always like a continuous thing. Like the the brown hair and the blonde hair, like characters <laughs> like fusing together because they're like opposite and they oh, yeah. end up being in love. Like Karo Shin- Shinji. Um, and it just makes her like a beautiful unity. I don't know what it is, but it just works. Yeah, there is. I don't know what it is either, but there was like something really compelling to me, like seeing them like get like so like wrapped up with each other and yeah. like embracing and their helmets jammed together because um, it seems to me that like Tomino like really like understands like the nature of war is like not these grand sweeping politics, but like I mentioned earlier, it's like this interpersonal like tragedy enacted on a 
an, an enormous stage. And watching those two, like, get slammed together in zero gravity, I don't even know. It just evokes so much truth in me. And yeah, then even, and- too, the whole series, they're, like, apart. Like, they only meet, like, on the battlefield, except for that one moment when, like, Lala is there and they see each other. Like, that yeah. is so tense. Yeah. They're like, oh, my God. It's, like there's the distance so when they finally are like fighting literally face to face it makes it that much more impactful it's shocking mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and they have like opposite personalities and different philosophies mm-hmm. as well because like Shar is like this really chauvinistic character that like sees the necessity of war and like aims and seeks for power and then like Amaro is just kind of like this you know Shinji like timid character that like he's a good boy understands the reality of yeah yeah, suffering and is just a good boy um and it's nice to see like those two like opposites collide okay who's Uke and who's Tachi I think that Shar is definitely Tachi he's the top (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely at the top. Yeah, and then, and then Amuro's on the yeah. bottom squealing. But, like, I really do, like, um, I, like, there's so much, like, when you're seeing, like, Amuro and Shara's characterization, because it spends so much time with them just, like, bickering with, like, their, like, crew members and stuff, you get, like, this whole human portrait, because you see, like, all of these, like, really, like, boring characters, and, like, they're, like, slight, like, little dramas and what have you, and it's especially clear in this first season where we have, like, the salt episode. And, like, everyone is, like, there's not enough salt. And the old people are cranky about it on this ship. And they have to go get more salt. And, like, it's just the children on board. The, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why are there children? There's just always babies crying in the background. Yeah, there's always yeah. babies crying and, like, causing and mischief. And, like, they're really, like, hideously <laughs> animated. <laughs> just running around screaming. Um, yeah. This series also, like, originated, like, erotic anime as well, if you'd believe it or not. This is, I think, one of the first moments in Japanese animation history to, like, feature, like, breasts and nipples, like, on a, oh, yeah. on a televised show. So they're always taking showers, too, yeah. and they show that. Yeah, they show you every, like, gross detail they don't, when they don't have enough food to eat or, like, when, like, there's not yeah. enough gas or something or, like, they're always, like, showering, you know? Like, if <laughs> having... It is a brutal watch to get through, like, so much of this show, but, like, show. I love, like, the long time frame of it because you get to see so much. And you feel so immersed in, like, the universe of what's going on. Yeah. Like, even, yeah. like, the, the little details of them, like, showering, like, getting salt, like you feel like the nuances of like space politics yeah and you feel like the total effect of it and like that's exactly what sassoon does as well it's amazing yeah um by the end of this series what we get is um a heroic triumph of the will and uh they're able to vanquish uh zeon for the time being and a armistice is declared um but then after that we go into zeta which is a much darker creation
Almost eight years later, um, they returned, Tomino returned with the Sunrise Studio for Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, and the original series was actually a huge flop. They shortened it by 12 episodes, and uh, they had to completely redo a lot of the plot points um, that Tomino wasn't able to express until he published a novelization of the original that's it's much different, haven't read it, can't wait to one day, but um, Zeta Gundam is... Uh, a much darker, much more, but uh, it's hard to explain, but this is really the more emotional. This this takes all the emotional drama of the first and turns it into a huge 80s soap opera um, full of glistening synth 80s music, fantasies of the future that are so gorgeously designed and um, stakes so high and hearts so full of woe that, um, like we were just saying on, on the Patreon, this is, um, this is a series for girls. And those who have female hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Macy, you'd seen this a while ago. What was your first impression of of Zeta when you, uh, first experienced it? I think I, because it's like so much to take in I feel like I didn't pay as much attention to some of the drama that happened in the middle with like four and stuff Mm -hmm. but I loved Camille he was and still is like my favorite protagonist he's like so funny to me and I love so I love Char so I love seeing him as like Quattro Vagina (laughs) he's like I so confused and like nobody like knew who he was he just puts on the sunglasses he's like no, I'm not Shar. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's like so so up. Yeah. Like Shar returns as a protagonist this time and he literally just like yeah. goes to the gym, puts on sunglasses, <laughs> and everyone's like, Who is this? <laughs> so eighties. And then Stacy, what did yeah. you think? Um, your your first impression with your first experience here? I think I was a bit confused initially because I was expecting like continuation between like the Amaro and uh Shar drama. Um, but then you get introduced to like a bunch of new characters like Kamala Biden. <laughs> Sorry, that's all I can, I can Camille, Biden, Camille Biden. Um, and, uh, you, you feel like you've grown to love the characters in a bit more because you actually see them grow and develop. Um, and it's just so interesting even like more mature yeah and it is really shocking because this opens on a space colony um oh god what's the name it's like something very pastoral it's like green gardens or something like that i don't even remember but it's like you open with this um angsty boy and his blue hair camille um who hates his parents um and the military conflict <laughs> of the of the first series has resolved um but in its wake a paramilitary group called the Titans 
uh, rises up, and their goal is to eliminate all traces of the principality of Xeon antagonists from the first series, but they become so uh, radical and aggressive that they become a new warring military force. Uh, and um, Camille is in the same way that Ray Amaro was, is suddenly stuck in a Gundam. He discovers that he's uh, probably a new type and then leads a, a military conflict. And um, my God, the drama, just the drama of it. <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. Either, I think I know but... where to start is in episode seven. Camille is getting in a fight with one of the girls on the ship. And he's like, well, I'm an autistic child. He says literally, <laughs> like, I'm an autistic child, which is why I behave this way. So it's like, we have like the sunny, you know, gambare like attitude of Amaro. But like here we have like like glowering like tragic Camille and um Mm -hmm. we watch every single person in his life get mercilessly killed in the most dramatic ways possible in the second episode uh his mom is taken as a hostage and they put her in a glass tube in space and then blow it up (laughs) and then he just sees it uh and then like there's yeah there's this like edible aspect to it too like seeing his mom get killed and like he has like beef with his father doesn't get along with him uh that was like really interesting to see because you don't get like that sort of background on like other characters uh will you get a little bit on in of that on Amuro in the first season but I think it's more nuanced in this season yeah, I think so too. What do you think, Macy? Yeah, like their dads are all like proto Gendo. <laughs> yeah. And I do. <laughs> I love too, though, um, like the way that there are so many callbacks to the first season mm-hmm. with what happens. Because then there's this whole grand theme of like destiny, like yes. all these things like happening over and over again, but they never learn their lesson. Mm-hmm. Right. You can really feel um, the at the end of every episode preview, what they say is you will see the tears of time and you absolutely will. Uh, like you feel so much passage and maturation in these characters. And when like the original cast members appear, um, their lives are, are so vastly different. And um, it feels like in some ways, almost like Twin Peaks The return just yeah. because of like how extreme like the world is different and yet the same in, in many ways. Yeah, um, I just, th- this is by far, like, the most, like, uh, cerebral and, like, humanly dramatic out of all of them, and um, I, I I don't even know, like, what makes it that way. There's this, there's, it's much, like, more plotless than the original, like, much less seems to happen, especially in the first half, and it's just, like, them going up against, like, these turmoils and then being wrecked across the side by it. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. What was what was some of the stuff that like most horrified you during this? Because I was like shocked and disgusted multiple times. Mm, the death of Camille's mom was like yeah. tragic. Like this was the first striking moment. I was like, whoa! They really yeah. jumped into it. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think what else. I think for me, um, the most like riveting relationship of the show, and maybe in all of Gundam, is between Camille and Four. And Four is a, um, quote, cyber new type. She's been someone who's, like, been genetically altered in a way that's so that she can become a new type. 
Um, once again, she's on the antagonistic side in their relationship with each other as she pilots the Psycho Gundam, which is literally its name. It's incredible. <laughs> And I love that that one is huge. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's the biggest one. The Psycho Gundam, the one that requires you to, like, manipulate your emotions to pilot it, is this towering black force in the sky. I love that. That whole, like, like, arc in the story, too. Like, when they're first, like, fighting with her and stuff. It's so dramatic because, like, most anime, like, they would just let it be happy. Because there's, like, a part where she's, like, I have no memories. And then she's looking at the place where she, like, ate ice cream with Camille. And it's, like, you do have memories. Like, you met him and you kissed him. And, like, there's this happy spot. And then she just destroys it. It's, like, so heartbreaking. It is. Yeah, because Forrest's drama, which is that she was, like, genetically engineered to be a cyber new type. And she can't remember anything about her back history. And she finds herself in love with Amuro, but also, like manipulated by the titans to be like this uh, warmongerer so you see her like constantly like cracking like every scene that she's piloting a gundam in like you feel her psychically breaking apart it's really brutal yes like in ava we get this stuff very early on and it's like the main like kind of uh running theme is like how much like psychic turmoil is and like People then introduce to you, like, Gundam as, like, oh, it's, like, Gundam without the psychology. It's, like, Ava without the psychology. But to be honest, like, this is, like, so torturous. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love, too, because it's, like, okay, Asuka already pilots, like, a robot. But imagine if she had, like, psychic powers, too. Yeah. It feels, like, amping up, like, the stakes. Or even compared to any other show or anime, it's, like, okay, you already have this sort of, like, betrayal and drama happening between the characters but they're in these huge like destructive suits and it just adds so much force to it that's exactly right i feel like what honestly makes mecha so compelling to me is that like these giant humanoid suits that these people operate are just stand-ins for humanity and it's like so like (laughs) extreme and ham-fisted that it ends up (laughs) lending such a powerful touch like you really do feel like you're watching so many people's hearts at war when you see these giant suits colliding yeah something like that (laughs) i'm gonna keep saying that today (laughs) the psycho gundam is really compelling just like this huge and they uh the the, their big fight is in hong kong they spent like 10 it's like 10 episodes of this in like hong kong and it's like so like 80s washed and beautiful Mm -hmm. The whole look of this season is just so, like, synthy and, like, vaporwave almost. Like, yeah. And it feels like proto-vaporwave, too, because they kind of had, like, the same aesthetic for it, and it already feels, like, mournful and full of regret. Like, at this point, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, uh, what else stood out to you about this? About this whole series? Like, what, what, what's so compelling to you about Zeta? also love Hamon and I love too that like when you're first watching it you don't really know like what is their relationship it's just all of a sudden they're like on the ship with like Mineva and Hamon it's like how does Shar know these people like literally what is happening you know there's like some deep like history of like like them killing each other's families and like Mm -hmm. super intense like history between them that is like they're just glaring at each other, but you don't really know the full story, and it makes you want to know more, like, so badly. Yeah. What about you, Stacey? What, what else is uh, emotionally resonant with you from this bonkers series? I'm trying to think. Um, 
I like binge watched it all in one day, so it was like a complete blur. <gasps> oh, in a day? Just, oh my god, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I watched this like over like nine days, and I still felt like really like ripped apart by it because there's like so much whiplash, and um, like the Gundam franchise in general has a really strong sense of locomotion and like transport so when Mm -hmm. characters have to move to a new location it takes multiple episodes so i think there's like a four episode arc about them trying to figure out how to get back into space and like the the logistics behind it and stuff so there's like always like so much movement and stuff it really feels like a whirlwind when you watch it something like that (laughs) 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 um Okay, what else is important in Zeta? We have Char in cosplay as a character named Quattro Vagina. Just, just, you know, literally four vaginas. He's very sexy in this, isn't he? Yeah, he is. It's good to... It's interesting to see him and Amuro, like, uh, you know, ten years later or whatever. And they're both, like, trying to... Working together. Yeah, they work together and they're still working through, like, their phantoms of Lala. Like, she appears, like, in space as, like, a Madoka, like, god demon, like, several times during this. And um, there's, like, so much respect for their psychology and, like, letting them, like, having to have so many holdups and baggage about their war trauma and shell shock. Yeah, it's just very... It's very fully lived in. Um, I guess, like, Zeta, like, we should talk about the end of Zeta, which is uh, really pessimistic. It's the Sassoon ending to it. Like, he technically wins, but it, um, basically, they keep introducing more and more, like, cyber new types to the, to the protagonist, and each of them, like, gets, like, horribly killed, like, ruins their lives, um, and... I don't even remember her name at this point. The one who thinks he's uh, her older si- brother. Is it Rosamie? That's it, Rosamie. Yeah, Rosamie appears like in the yeah. last like ten episodes of the show or something, and is like this demented like. Uh, um, I don't even know how to describe her character. She's like this like almost like harem kind of character that like latches on to Camille and I was like oh my god my big brother um which is not the case like she's been like hypnotized to think that or whatever but like um he he feels like this like brotherly responsibility for her as he did like a romantic one for four uh and when she gets like brutally killed in like the final conflict it's like just one more like deep scar on him Everyone's, like, looking up plot details on Wikipedia, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at plot <laughs> yeah, details and I'm re- refreshing my mind on what happened. I mean, it's such a mess. Like, I can only remember, like, the... It makes sense to me that these series would be aired over, like, the course of a year, you know? Like, they would do, like, one episode oh, yeah. every week for, like, a whole year. And it would be, like, something you really sit with. And then when mm-hmm. you, like, slam it all together, it just becomes, like, a <laughs> gloopy, psychedelic robot haze. <laughs> yeah. It really does feel like this reoccurring trauma, too. Because it's just, like, every few episodes, some cyber new type girl that the protagonist loves almost dies or does die horrifically. Always horrifically. And, um... The deaths in this are, like, really brutal as well. Like, there's something about, like, the yeah. way that, like, the Gundams, like, 
crumple up and like get crushed like you can really feel like the weight yeah. of them dying but i guess we can talk about the end which is um camille wins but it's so horrifying that he like becomes completely delusional and is like dead-eyed like ranting in the gundam in the middle of space yeah. and everyone is just like oh my god what's happened to him and he just is like it's really fucking disturbing, honestly. Mm-hmm. What did you think it's of? Like, yeah. It's like jumping ahead, but then like in double Zeta, it's just like, I guess it, I wouldn't have like been as affected by it if something horrible didn't happen. But then it's like, you just have Camille and double Zeta like getting pushed around in his wheelchair. And then there's like an, an episode where like a colony drops and he's just like walking around, like falls in the dirt and he's just like screaming. Like He's just this, incomprehensible screaming like he doesn't have this like structured consciousness anymore he just like feels the universe yeah he's like so ruined by like the conflicts of war that his um develop i mean it's really beautiful to see his development from the beginning of the show as like an autistic like loser child like (laughs) like gaining like confidence and like becoming you know someone with values and like uh he stops snapping at people so much like the characters on zeta are really it's like hbo girls like nobody is good (laughs) like they're all kind of horrible people and mean to each other and annoying and so when you finally see him shaking out of that just to be like reduced to like this uh catatonic baby state it's very creepy yeah it's like horrible because it's like Mm -hmm. he he just finally grew up like the whole series is him like coming of age and like growing up and stopping like throwing his fits all the time and then that happens and it's just like all that's out the window and it's just like oh my god and that does lead us into double zeta which is the worst of all the things we're talking about by far um I mean, you know, my thing is that I try to always be like, you know, I like this as a whole continuation. Um, but this is a kind of like brutal, like late 80s anime yeah. in the worst sense, because it's like this um, very sunny kind of um, slapstick, like comedy, kind of. It's about a bunch of junk collectors who get broiled into the conflict um, since basically like they lost in Zeta. Um, and, uh, I, I, okay, I appreciate the series. I like, I like it as kind of, like, a, a tonal whiplash, and I appreciate that they were, like, so daring as to, like, completely fold backwards. Um, but I just, this is a hard one, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. What, what did and you, too, yeah, what did you think about it? I love, it? like, comedy. I love cutesy shows. I don't mind a show where it's, like, kind of dumb and not a lot is happening and they're joking around. But I think for me, it is, like, the whiplash, like, between the tones of the two series because it's, like, I got really attached to, like, Haman and Camille. And, like, then in this, it's, like, they feel like, like, Haman just becomes this, like, cheap 80s villain. Like, all of her, the depth of her character gets, like, suctioned out. And it's just, like so frustrating to watch yeah because like this is like it feels like almost sadistic because like the first two series are so painfully realistic despite like their anime soup quality (laughs) like this nonetheless like goes so for it it kind of like feels almost like um like 2.0 in the rebuilds of evangelion Mm -hmm. where it's like doing like the crowd pleasing thing so deliberately that it almost becomes like self-satire and having to watch, like, the endless, like, march of death and horror in the originals and then, like, come up to this, you know? It's, like, 
I don't even know what to say. It just, like, feels like he's, like, deliberately, like, pissing off people who get it while, like, inviting people in who wouldn't somehow. Yeah. And uh, admittedly, I haven't finished the series, but Amuro and Shard don't appear, no? I think Amuro is, like, barely there, but Shard was deliberately not in because um, Mm -hmm. the director, Tomino, got um, permission to do the Shard's counterattack movie. And so they deliberately mm-hmm. did not put him in the anime. Oh, I see. Yeah, it just feels like absent of like this original quality that was in the first two seasons. Yeah, this like definitely feels like the first time that like Gundam is like a franchise, really, because like Zeta and the original are so like distinct that when you get to this and it's like very gloopy, um, it's like a punishing watch. But I mean, there 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 is good stuff. Like I like Haman, even though she's like kind of a you know character molested yeah i like mashimiri more than i liked paptimus shiroko yeah me too all of the characters in this are like 80s gay archetypes just like kind of satisfying (laughs) like they're all kind of faggoty and like uh wearing like shoulder pads (laughs) like (laughs) um and the the colony drop when they like this is a, a reoccurring gundam motif of them like sucking out the gravity from a colony and sending it to earth to like kill millions of people um and when it happens in this show it definitely does like mark a tone shift and it, get, it gets a little bit more you know heavy-handed from there but like that episode is pretty disturbing yeah yeah there's like lots of images in double zeta that are like kind of like haunting in a like in a way that feels difficult for them to accomplish with like that campy tone but like it still shocks and it, it almost yeah. does like shock more because of like how lighthearted it was at the beginning yeah that is true but i don't want to watch it ever again <laughs> no <laughs> i think it's, another thing i love the same is just <laughs> no yeah i love puru i just kept saying like every episode oh she's so cute and then i would like space out and i'd be like oh puru's here she's so cute and then i would stop paying attention again um there's the two episode moon moon arc <laughs> i don't know if stacy got there but there's oh, like two like tri- there's like two tribalist episodes like where like <laughs> they like end up like on like a second moon colony that's like feudal or something and they like worship the gundams as god um and it's really ridiculous <laughs> to get to that now just just to know what's going on just for moon moon <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, and this basically ends with uh, Camille's, uh, the, I mean, he's, like, barely present in the anime, but it ends with him kind of, yeah. like, recovering and getting married and um, mm-hmm. being able to live, like, a, a a real life in the shadow of all that's happened to him. Um, so kind of looking at all of these three together, what's kind of your takeaway about war and tragedy and violence? Like, what do you feel from these first three Gundams? feels like it does show you the distinction kind of similar to like the Sassoon poems like between what people say about glory and all these like ideologies that people have and then when you get down to it the actual human element of it it like really explores that yeah it explores in like greater detail like this what Sassoon explores as well like the suffering of what goes into like war but also like 
the human bonds that it creates when you see like the people that you love like die um so it's like this unifying aspect but also the sever severing aspect of war yeah i was thinking about that too because like there would have been no way for the new types to exist had there not been war and i think even amuro acknowledges at one point that like war is what has to happen so that humanity can progress to a point without it you know yeah but like the lived in reality of it isn't the glorious like uh, fire death like all the characters like fight for glory like end up getting like most severely punished and the kind of um like ending statement we have is like this uh experience is so bleak and wretched and hard on the soul that you do hope that one day the new types can like take the earth and and reduce people to an empathetic mess. Like, um, it's kind of like anti Ava in some ways, because Ava is very much about embracing like the violence between other people. And I, I can't say that Gundam is, and it's like ending philosophy mm-hmm. that like, oh, we need to evolve into humans who have like infinite empathy for each other. It, it definitely is kind of inverse to that, isn't it? Yeah. Who do you think is right? Toino or Ano? Like, who who's right about this? Like, do we have to, like, evolve into an empathetic species? Or do we have to always have conflict? Or which is it? Is it both? <laughs> it's just hard to even imagine a world without conflict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah. Like... Go ahead. Oh. Um, yeah, I think, like, and I'm not advocating for war, but it seems like that conflict is necessary towards like a developing a greater empathy towards people. Because when you, when there is a world in peace and the violence is completely absent, we don't we don't understand the feeling of like empathy mm-hmm. or like it's inverse like suffering. Yeah, you have to go through the hardship of conflict with the other in order to create genuine empathy somehow. Yeah. But it's hard to do that, I suppose. And maybe, like, maybe I'm wrong, and, and Tomino is actually, like, advocating that, like, this does have to happen in order to, like, create empathy, and then maybe one day in the future we'll be able to get to that point. But um, considering, like, the development of things with the face of the internet, which had no sign of existing when Gundam first started, it feels like all the instruments, like, created to help us, like, lend more empathy to one another have done precisely the opposite, and we're, like more separate and destructive than ever in an unproductive way. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way out of all of it. <laughs> we just have to get in our mobile suits and work. Yeah, we have, to, we have to work. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what this whole season of my show is about, is, like, you know, recreating the universe in a, in a new image and, you know, trying to find something from these, you know, ancient broken pieces of art to carry forward. And, um... You know, a drive to create empathetic people and creating true compassion that's, like, felt over space and time is something I want. But I think, like, Gundam provides less evidence than Ava does that it's a valid, like, philosophy. hmm Yeah, I don't know. But even, too, in the end, like, Stacey was saying about how it, like, unites people, like... 
the ending, it feels like it would be now something so cliche, like Amuro flying to the base full of his friends. And it's like the message is like, oh, it's the friends we made along the way. But like the found family narrative, but like even that in the Gundam, it's so sweet and it really feels so earned. It does. So it really is so moving. And they really do come together by fighting together. I think that like the suffering that they went through together, like did like create something, you know, worthwhile. And I, I feel like Tomino knows that as well. Um, even though in Zeta, he says, like, the opposite. And it was like, oh, it was worth nothing because you become a shell. Yeah. But even then, like, after, you know, swallowing everything that happened, Camille is also able to, like, live a beautiful life, you know? I think. Yeah. So let's talk about the final two <laughs> entries of this whole Universal Century. I mean, there's much more after this. There's uh, Unicorn Gundam. There's... Uh, like the the eighth team or whatever, there's so much. But um, for the intents and purposes of today, um, the last few pieces here are War in the Pocket, a six episode OVA uh, series, and then the final film, Shar's uh, Counter Attack. Yeah, I, I personally think that War in the Pocket is, like, the best that Gundam has to offer, honestly. And it has um, both, like, the idealist, like, European imagery of, like, these colonies. And it's, like, matched with uh, some of the most, like, crushing and horrific, like, violence of the whole series. And Shara's Counterattack is, like, kind of, like, the very psychedelic answer to, like, this uh, empathy and what it takes so, you know, thinking about the question I posed at the end, like, how do we actually make, like, new types, like, where it's something real in the new world, like, I feel like these two series are uh, closest. Um, so, Macy, I know you saw War in the Pocket all the way through. Yeah. What did you think about it? Oh, my God. It really is so good. And it really is so upsetting. And that, too, what I love about Gundam is, like, kind of what we said in the other ones, like, discussing those, like, there, it is, like, about kids, and it's, there's this cutesy surface to it, and it's, especially in War in the Pocket, like, the last few episodes is, like, what I remember the most distinctly is how it's just, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, like, how much a spoiler, what's it even oh, just say? say like, just spoil okay. it, and so, I'll like, watch it. Okay, yeah. so, like, yeah, he finds out okay, his friend says that he's going to fight the Gundam because if he doesn't fight the Gundam, they're going to, like, would, like, drop the colony or nuke the colony. They're going to nuke it if they don't defeat, like, the Gundam, like, unit. And his friend, like, 
what did he I guess he had like a Zaku and he didn't have a lot of weapons and they come up with this like home alone style plan to put these like inflatable Santas in the woods and they're gonna use those to like ambush the Gundam and like that's also like isn't he like in love with the girl too yeah <laughs> he's like fighting his so, name's Bernie by the way yeah Bernie <laughs> Bernie <laughs> yeah, um Biden and Kamala <laughs> all make an appearance in the Gundam series yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, and so like they make this huge plan to defeat the Gundam, this little little boy and the um Xeon young man uh boy named Bernie. And then his the little kid finds out that his friend doesn't have to fight, they're not actually gonna drop a nuke. It's like like false information. And he's like running to go stop his friend like from fighting. And he's like getting thrown around in the woods by all the explosions. He's like screaming and <laughs> it's so sad it's like like he doesn't have to fight and then they have this short little battle and his friend gets obliterated and it also like is taking place like right before christmas yeah it was on christmas Christmas. yeah it's a christmas that's why there's those inflatable santas yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and the girl just gets like knocked unconscious and like she doesn't even know like who it is that she killed and the like guys come along the kid is sitting there like traumatized like staring into space like completely broken and the like paramedic guys are like oh there's nothing left but, but hamburger, hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> that is like one of the most iconic lines in all of anime it's like so tragic yeah because you, yeah, so it's, yeah. you spend these five episodes with this really bratty kid who like is like yeah. he like infatuates war it's like called war mm-hmm. in the pocket because one of the central yeah. images is that he puts like gundam like toys like in his pocket and it's like very like self-referential referential because by this time like gundams had escaped the warring narrative of their anime as like instruments of terror and had become gunpla which we all own all three of us own gunpla like we all have little gunpla statues (laughs) like and so they, I guess like uh, the creator behind this, who wasn't Tominoi, was actually someone else that they offered to do the series with. Like he kind of saw that like Gundam had escaped into this like Evangelion imaginary postmodern like you know terror cycle, and so then he like kind of like raped a child with it. It was like taking like a child <laughs> who like emblemizes this kind of stuff and then like bludgeons them with absolute yeah. horror. And the first like four episodes of this are like really like cute like whenever there's like violence going on i mean the 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 gundam fights are like especially brutal in this but like yeah this one's way more like bloody than the other ones yes characters like get like um like stabbed through their gundams like the the glass Mm -hmm. in their cockpits break and scratch up their Mm -hmm. skin like they're like bleeding and limping everywhere uh characters are dying like very quickly and without warning and uh it's all in the name of just torturing this like child protagonist and it is transcendental to watch yeah now i have to watch this you 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 will have to watch it yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i mean um that ending sequence though is just unlike anything else in gundam or anything it's so brutal and you see him with like the 40 mile stare just like looking out into the distance like shaking that you know birdie's been reduced to hamburger And then there's, like, another 10 minutes, like, his parents wake him up from school, like, for school, and they're like, oh, like, good morning, eat your breakfast. 
and then like he sees the the girl that uh, Bernie was fighting and she's like oh it, when, if you see Bernie again like say hello for me and like gives him a little kiss on the head it's like all sweet and the kid the whole time is just staring into space <laughs> and then he goes to the assembly and his friends are like they're like okay they're giving an assembly about like oh wait like so many people have died during the war like let's mourn them let's have a moment of silence for them and he starts weeping like he starts like like really fucking weeping and like (laughs) sobbing this girl who's like been like a skeptic about it the whole like series and like always thinks they're being stupid about their like war memorabilia she's like oh i'll go get the teacher and his two little male (laughs) friends are like oh stop crying don't worry there'll be another war soon enough and it's gonna be even bigger and flashier than the last and like this like late 80s like synth music like jolly synth music comes up as his eyes are bulging and like looking into hell oh my god that sounds amazing it is amazing and it feels like it's a masterpiece especially after something like double zeta which is you know just like full on camp for them to like do something like this so seriously really hits home and there's like so much like haunted Gundam imagery like the Zaku like collapses in the first episode and it's like a relic that they like go and um in the end credits it like shows them like standing on top of it and it feels like you're like living in like this derelict Gundam fantasy it's very upsetting Mm-hmm. And I love even to the one little scene who's like playing a video game and it's like you've destroyed a hospital like you've bombed like a school. <laughs> and then it was then he deliberately stops fighting the little enemies in his game and he starts shooting every single <laughs> building going hi 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 which they translate in the subtitles as yes mother and so it's just like him like murdering people in this game going yes mother over and over again oh my god it's like that scene in um i think it's the third episode of ava when he's like aim fire pull the trigger you know it's exactly that (laughs) it was so funny too because my boyfriend like i was watching this on my computer and he's like in the room so he saw the ending of War in the Pocket and he had like tears in his eyes. He's so upset. And then I immediately started Zeta and I was like, yeah, I forgot the opening. Anime Janai, it's real life. Anime Janai. And, yeah, <laughs> and I started laughing at him so hard. That double Zeta theme song is like really surreal because they're like the, the most anime out of all of them. And the, like the yeah. theme song goes, this isn't an anime. <laughs> Can you imagine if they had like opened like War in the Pocket with that? People would have like panic seizures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, what's your like general takeaway about what Gundam as a franchise is trying to say with War in the Pocket? It does feel like what you were just saying, where they're like brutalizing this child. It's like, oh, you thought this is like some cute little game, and like they show you, like you forgot like what war is like. We'll show you, like that's what the whole experience feels like. Yeah, this is the most Sassoon out of all of them by far. Definitely. Yeah, and um. I mean, the franchise continued. They made merch out of the, you know, Gundams in this series as well. It's like the endless <laughs> feedback loop. But, I mean, I can't imagine, like, being a fan of War in the Pocket. Like, seeing that gunpla that you bought and, like, not, like, letting it touch you with, like, the horror of war. <laughs> like, at least a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, War in the Pocket definitely, like, uh, creates the tragedy of war in its most final statement. But... Char's counterattack is what brings it to kind of a transcendental psychedelic layer where we're able to take all of this cultural garbage we've just been sifting through, all of these, like, malfunctioning seasons of the show, anime janai, and it turns it, like, into, 
Um, honestly, like, one of the most, like, cerebral and, you know, for lack of a better word, like, epic kind of, <laughs> like, like, final statements on what this whole series is trying to say. Um, Stacey, I know you were quite touched by this. What did you think? I was touched by this because it felt like, um, it gets to what Macy brought up about, like, the idea of destiny. Because the, the main, like, sort of thing that's going on is, like, Amaro and Char reunite and again they are haunted by the sort of image of Lala and it accumulates in the introduction of this new character called Quest she becomes Quest, like a, yes yeah it becomes this sort of <laughs> character that embodies like this uh like continues like the legacy left behind by Lala um for at least in for Char and I it it, there was like a specific relationship that develops between Char and Quest mm -hmm. that I found profoundly like beautiful and that um, I think like I've, I believe that Char was infatuated with the image of Lala through like Quest and again like the idea that like he's in love with something that's unattainable and he can never have again and he's only in love with this idea in his mind of something that's lost and i thought that was so profound it's very it homosexual yeah it spoke <laughs> to me a lot yeah it's like that's how i feel all the time it's like one time i like see like one beautiful man on the train with his ankles exposed and, like a tight t-shirt and like i carry that around for the rest of my life as the image of lala and her yellow drape like dress like <laughs> floating through space and then every time I try to have sex with anyone else after that, it's always in pursuit of, like, the ghostly yellow dress Lala hurtling through space. Yeah. yeah. This is very emotionally true. Um, yeah. Warren, sorry, um, Char's Counterattack is, like, this uh, very surprising final movie that feels like it comes out of nowhere because um, mm -hmm. Char having, like, felt for, like, the heroes the whole time is revealed to actually have been concocting this really insane plan to, uh, kill Earth of all people, wipe them off so that the Earth can regenerate, people can all, you know, evolve into new types and then return to Earth and not be so horrible with it, um, and he involves like a, a new type like you just said quests that he has like a sexual relationship with um along with several several other people is in his fleet all the while amuro and bright noah the captain of, from the original series they're all in this last ditch very brutal effort to stop them and uh like you said this is like one of the most like sexual and like truly like realized like entrances in the whole entries in the whole franchise um macy what did you think about it yeah, um, well, like you were saying, I think it's so funny that, like, you find out his plot and he's, like, some kind of, like, eco-fascist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it's like, you're all parasites on the earth. I need to save the earth. Like, I don't know. I love that reoccurring thing. And it's so funny. And the other thing that is so interesting with his relationship with these women, too, is, like, they joke, like, the one character is, like, um, like, making fun of him, like, oh, he's, like, a creepy old pervert. He just likes young women. But he, like, wants a mother figure. And that too is like so happens all the time in Gundam. It's like, oh, you're supposed you could be like a mother to him, like you could be like his father figure. They're always saying that to each other and like trying to like model for these other characters. But maybe that's because they are all they are all like war orphans and they have to like project onto each other because they have like nothing else. Yeah, so you get this like really like coarse knot of all of these people who are so 
you know, brutalized by war that where they end up are like as these like parentless like monsters like set on their philosophies and wrecked by their sexual pathology. Every single mm-hmm. character, even like Ray, like when he's like kissing people in this, it feels like wrong, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh-huh. I mean, he was when you first watch the original series, you kind of imagine that him and like Fra Bao are gonna get together, yeah. <laughs> but then he like falls in love with Lala, and uh, every other sexual interaction you see him in thereafter like feels like this hollow, tragic thing. Ugh so upsetting yeah and then in the very end like char like tells or says that like lala was like a mother to him and for me i i guess i like took this as like a metaphor in a way of like the idea that like earth is a mother yeah and like um char is trying to like destroy earth but like he ultimately like wants to destroy perhaps something that he actually like seeks out really deeply yeah Mm -hmm. this is something i've always thought is that the only way to you know interact with beauty is if you don't really hold it yourself if you don't possess it yourself then you either have to destroy it or let yourself be destroyed by it and yeah and you taint it yeah that's right so (laughs) char tries to taint all beauty and because yeah. I, I think he does love the earth and I think he does love humanity. Um, but just he's so disgusted with how it's turned out that yeah. his only choice is to try to, you know, ruin it all so it can try again. Mm-hmm. And I just love so much the one scene when he's like on horseback riding through a forest, <laughs> like shouting his ideology. It's so good. Like that is like you're, yeah, so, yeah. like you're saying there's this like German pastoral like aspect to it. Yeah. No, it's so good. I mean, I'm. You said earlier, Stacey, that Char did nothing wrong. Do you still think that with this movie? Because I kind of definitely do. Yeah, this was, like, the movie yeah. that, like, I, I had an instant attraction to Char in the beginning because of his, like, appearance. And then, like, this movie solidified, like, my idea that, like, he basically did nothing wrong and that his, like, philosophy was that, like, he was perhaps misguided a little bit, but, like, his philosophy is that you have to destroy something in order to rebuild it. hmm yeah that's so continuous with like the evangelion thesis in a way too like that just you for rebirth to happen you have to seek destruction yeah i know i i think that's really what stuck out to me about this the most as well because like in my uh season two finale like i that was something i wrote directly is like uh you know rebirth and uh, it's like death and rebirth are one and the same which is an evangelion quote and it's like you do have to obliterate the past you have to eviscerate all like knowledge of thinking in order to create like a new reality for yourselves um and it's interesting that like Shar is kind of like the futurist of these two um and then like Amaro is like the traditionalist and he ends up succeeding but in in a in a way that might be a little different because he uh he uses the psycho calm system with his Gundam to um, create a giant light in the sky that is the entire light of the human heart. So he tries to, like, literalize the essence of the new type and make it this uh, visible romantic force in the sky, whereas Char just wants to blow it up. And I kind of think both of them are right, honestly, by the end of this. Yeah. 
And I just love, like, the thing I love about Shar's character is even from the beginning, you know, he's, like, he's got his own plan. He's, like, following his own path. Like, they all have these things that they believe in so deeply that they're, like, willing to die for. And I just think just that is, like, admirable. It makes the characters so interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by the end of this franchise, everyone has a really believable reason that they want to die for this cause. Yeah, and that's beautiful. It is beautiful. And it's because it's not in the name some stupid glory it's like yeah. in the name of truly doing something yeah. fabulous with you know the human experience and i mean fabulous yeah. not in like the sharpe from high school musical way but like in like the <laughs> yeah. the ancient sense of fabulous you know yeah like yeah. some value that's like truly transcendent yeah and yeah i mean it's and beautiful then also, like oh go ahead yeah go ahead Oh, There's a, we um, always have lag because of you know zoom or whatever but please go ahead <laughs> i'm not trying to cut you off it's okay and to to bring up again like the idea of destiny is like um again destiny reoccurs in that like all the as as you bring, brought up before the pathologies sexual pathologies reoccur again in this movie and they end up like kind of informing the idea that like um death and rebirth are like cyclical mm-hmm. and that like it occurs in this like continuous cycle and it all comes tumbling down tumbling down <laughs> tumbling down it's um, true though yeah i don't know it's just like well i think i think like podcasting is the way that i'm doing like i mean we didn't even explain any of the context for this but like <laughs> but like Amino Ray is like stopping a asteroid loaded with nuclear bombs from colliding with the Earth, and he's doing it by pushing it with his Gundam and using his emotional force, um, and by enacting his feelings so seriously, it like projects like mm-hmm. a light into the sky of Earth, and that's how I feel about podcasting. <laughs> like, uh-huh. That's that's what I think Cuteness Unit and I'm so popular is doing is like, you know. We don't have the manpower to, like, you know, kill everyone and try again, you know? So we just mm-hmm. have to do the right approach and um, show our essences as truly as possible in a digital mm-hmm. fleck of specs going into people's phones. Yeah. yeah. Be exactly. real. Push that boulder, even if it means exploding. <laughs> yeah. They both die at the end of this. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so beautiful that they both die. I yeah. me too. I don't know. It it becomes like a consummation of their unity together. It becomes like the most romantic thing possible as a Fujoshi is for for both <laughs> like the lovers to yeah. die together in yeah. this like amazing explosive unity. And it solidifies like perhaps the idea that like there is no definite like answer. Um, there's like Amaro is neither right or wrong, nor is Shar. Um, and so it leaves open that question. And I think that's that's really beautiful. Oh, yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. Like, there is no moral claim. I mean, I imagine that the show imagines itself to be, like, posturing, being like, oh, we don't want everyone to die on Earth. But, like, they really, like, don't criticize his point of view. Like, they don't, like, they don't villainize him that way. And as in terms of an antagonist, he's not, like, some, like, all-consuming evil. Like, he's a character that you've spent, yeah. like hundreds of episodes with at this point you know like just so much fucking time so you just get it you know and so both of them dying uh for this kind of like mutual agreement almost is really beautiful 
I like I like Quest a lot in this too. I love Quest, yeah. Yeah. I, I love her and I love her and Fort so much. Like these like hopelessly like <laughs> sexual new types just like trying to like uh escape through their problems by like fucking whoever uh, will let them <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, I love Quest, Queen, Diva. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Worked at one ray. Like, come on. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. What else do we have to say about this? We, we've looked at all of it now. We understand, like, you know, it's not either just eviscerating all of humanity or just a forecasting into the sky a, a message of the human heart, but uh, something in, in between. What, what do you yeah. think it is exactly? In, in the procession of my universe, where are we going next? Um... I don't know where we're going next necessarily, but I think like pertinent to all this is the idea that like suffering will be like always like the there, like it yeah. will haunt you, will exist. But um, the idea is, I guess, to to work <laughs> through yeah. that suffering yeah. and just to. And just to continue to fight it and yeah, I don't know. No, I I think that's like really right. I'm getting emotional. (laughs) Know how to like put it in like smart people words. No, no, no one needs smart people words. That's fine. We're just inarticulately (laughs) knocking our heads against each other. Yeah. We have to keep doing it. We have to keep doing it. Yeah. We just have to, it's important to, I guess, endure suffering. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, like, you go through so much shit that's so horrible. And you just, I mean, like, after, like, what I went through this weekend, I, like, literally was, like, so shaken up. Like, I just really, like, thought, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to, like, take a break from, like, my show. I'm, like, going to have to, like go home or something like I but you (laughs) (laughs) I can't (laughs) (laughs) why am I crying about Gundam this is so retarded um but no like seriously like we have to like you know we have to like meet up with each other and have like these conversations across space time in the name of like, you know, yeah. synthesizing these horrible things that happened to us into, mm-hmm. you know, into, into this beautiful fiery passion for what comes next that we're going to create together. Mm-hmm. This is the and first time like... I've cried on the show. Oh, no. <laughs> I only had two beers. I mean, not even that drunk. I'm just really reactive. <laughs> But they were expensive beers. They were. I spent like <laughs> Ropiaku Rokuju Rokuran on these two beers. <laughs> You're having a massage moment. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's all okay because, you know, together we're going to be synthesizing the universe into something more worthwhile. And no matter how much suffering and hardship you go through, you know, you can always make it into something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Suffering informs exactly. passion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't. I don't even know what else to say. I can't believe I cried I... on a Gundam episode of my show. 
I... It's okay, I can't get so emotional <laughs> thinking about just suffering. I feel like suffering is, like, something that I, I just have always been, like, thinking about in, in some degree or another because I feel like I've spent so much of my life in this stupid, dramatic, overlaying suffering that I project onto myself, but it turns out I think it's actually real. Like, you know, like... When when I'm so upset about, like, you know, men I can't have or, like, the, like, unrequited, like, love or, like, the hollowness I feel, like, in homosexual relationships, so, like, it is actually real. Yeah, but as you mentioned, like, I think that sort of gap or unattainability, like, informs a sense of, like, striving and a will to, to even live in the first place. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think I think you're right. You know, and, if you don't experience that suffering, how do you even know what what anything is worth at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you have like these beautiful, glistening images and ideals in your mind that you strive and seek, like seek to pursue with all effort. And I think that unattainability of an impossibility of the the other um is perhaps the most beautiful thing no i think so too mm-hmm. it's it's even more beautiful than ever having had it and then to to go through the the horrors that you know have just happen to you sometimes like yeah you know it's all worth something because we're, we're all channeling it. You know, at least, like, mm-hmm. you know, the three of us were, like, trying to create something. You know, even if we're just, like, gathering on, like, <laughs> some stupid Zoom call, you know, like, <laughs> podcasting. But, like, you know, it's, we're, you know, we're trying to channel that in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Oh, she did, I